sit and wait Does an angel contemplate my fate And do they know the places where we go Welcome to Mondays with Millie, a podcast about the past with real relevance to the present day. I'm your host, Phil Cristofaro, and in this podcast series, I interview my 90-year-old mother-in-law, Doreen, who I affectionately call Millie, about her ordinary life and the extraordinary events which influenced it. Millie has witnessed firsthand some incredible things across 10 decades. This is a personal history which gives us some perspective about life's triumphs and challenges. Wherever it may take me, I know that life won't break me when I come to call. She won't forsake me. I'm loving angels instead. When I'm feeling weak and my pain walks down. Welcome to episode 4, season 6 of Mondays with Millie. In episode 4, Millie discusses the challenges of keeping in touch with family when you can't just FaceTime. Kirsten returns home, and it isn't long before she decides to make the permanent move to Australia. In true Millie style, there's always an upside. Please enjoy this episode of Mondays with Millie. She offers me protection, a lot of love and affection, whether I'm right or wrong, and down the waterfall, wherever it may take me, I know that life won't break me, when I come to call, she won't forsake me, I'm loving angels instead. that was a generational gap for you did that did it feel like that yeah well of course you know I I, I was an older mother I was 38 when Kirsten was born but I don't think it had anything to do with age I think it was just the fact that she was my daughter and I thought she was gorgeous and and you know I, I was terrified that something would happen to her well but what I mean is not so much 
age, but more people, when you were her age, the thought of going off and travelling for 12 months or 18 months was just wasn't very common. Yes, well, well, this was it, you see. I mean, of course, you, you didn't have access to flying at all when I was young. I mean, the most adventurous thing I ever did was youth hosteling in the Lake District <laughs> and or hitchhiking one time. That was quite uh, interesting, hitchhiking um, and then cycling. You know, um, that was about the most we did. And then, of course, it was all right for the boys because they, they did national service. And I think that opened, uh, opened things for young men. I think that's why so many young men wanted to emigrate to Canada and Australia. Well, not so much Australia, that was very far away, but to Canada, you know, after the war. They they tasted travel, you see. Mm. Seen, seen something a little bit different. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. So, so Kirsten's on this trip, or she decides to do this 14-month trip, and you're obviously concerned. How did you stay in touch with her over that period of time? Well, of course, it was it was very difficult because they were moving around all the time. Uh, so we didn't have any anywhere to phone. So it meant that they had to do all the phoning. And it was expensive, of course. Uh, so one week, Kirsten would phone me and uh, myself and John. And then I would phone Amanda's parents to pass on the information and let them know. And then the following week, Amanda would phone her parents and then they would pass on the information to John and I. And that's the way we got weekly information from them. Um. <laughs> which which yeah. you compare that to even what we're doing now, it's kind of a real, it's a whole universe away, really, isn't it? It's amazing, quite amazing, actually. Yes, it is really. I mean, now when children go off for a year, they don't have the same problems. For one thing, it doesn't cost anything, does it, to to contact each other over the uh, your iPad or that. You know, it's 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 wonderful, really. It is. It is. It really is. I, well, I can remember calling my mother from London and it costing a pound a minute to speak to her. Yes. And I'd end up yes. on the phone for an hour sometimes, and it was yes. unbelievable. And, at, you know, that was the the early <coughs> 90s, early to mid-90s. So so um, she comes back from her trip, a, lo- a long trip, and she's come back in one piece. Um, almost, almost. She looked dreadful when she arrived because she'd come back after Nepal. She came back to India. And of course, she she wasn't very well. She picked up some bug, and um, which had lasted for a week or two. And we went to Manchester Airport to meet her. And she she looked absolutely terrible, really. She was so thin, you know, but quite happy. She'd had a wonderful time. It's not long before she's back, in, and around the mid nineties, she decides she wants to emigrate. To Australia. How did that go down? Well, 
we thought she might because, of course, she spent time in London with you, didn't she? Hmm. And uh, and you had to go home, of course, when your visa expired. And um, she'd just been promoted. She'd just been promoted to a senior um, radiographer. And uh, I remember you went back to, to uh, Australia. Your mother told me years later that they thought, well, the romance is over now, you know, sort of thing. And uh, and then she said she was coming, going on a, she had some leave and she was going to meet you. Um, now, where was that? Where did she meet you? Was it in, wasn't the Philippines, was it? Um, uh, she Vietnam. Came to, was she, it Vietnam? No, that was, that Vietnam was our trip. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Actually, it was right. I was heading, heading back from my two-year stint in London and she was meeting me uh, there on, on my way home. Yep. That's right. You've got yes. a very good memory. <laughs> yeah. And then the next thing was, after I think almost a year of you being apart, she said she was going to go over to Australia just for a short visit. Well, I knew then that what it was she wanted to make sure that things were still the same, you know, between you. And that I knew as soon as she came back, as soon as she walked through the door and I saw her face and she sort of burst into tears and I did. And um, I knew that was it, you know, and of course it was very difficult um, to us. Australia was a very, very long way. But, you know, it's quite amazing, isn't it? All those years, and we've seen her every up till this year with the with the um, lockdown. We've seen each other every single year, and sometimes twice a year. Mm. It's been absolutely amazing, and it's the best thing that she ever did. We know that. I know at the time we were very upset. Didn't say anything to prevent her. We didn't say anything to persuade her to change her mind. And both the boys said more or less the same thing. Look, Mum, she could marry someone and live round the corner and he could be an absolute rotter. <laughs> and this is a nice guy, you know. And isn't that important that she's happy? And that sort of made a big difference, you know, mm. because they were right. They were right. She could have she could have married somebody and finished up being divorced, couldn't she? Hmm. Just because he was local, it didn't mean to say she'd be happy with him. Yeah. And she's had a wonderful I mean really, she's had a wonderful life out there. I would I wouldn't have had it any different now. I really wouldn't. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't make it necessarily easy, I guess one of the things that she would say herself is that she she has managed to do those trips and and have some wonderful trips with with you and John when you came out yeah. to Australia. Um, oh, we had wonderful times. So, um, and we're already... And you know what helped? Can I just say this? Your family, you see, she said to me once, it would have been you know, that she'd settled well. This was early in the early days. It would be very different if 
film had had a different family because they all made her feel that she belonged. They were all so, you know, friendly and, and kind. Your sisters and your mother especially, your mother especially, made a big difference. And, and so she settled easily, you see, into your family. So she's, she goes off to Australia. It took a little bit of getting used to the fact that she'd, she'd emigrated. You must have been rattling around in that house in St. Anne's Road East with just the two of you. Yes. Did you yes, did you we have were. did you have thoughts of and, and John was <coughs> retiring from his work around that time too, wasn't he? When did he retire? Uh, yeah, well he retired a year he, he retired at sixty four because they were they were doing a lot of changes at work, a lot of changes and um and they they were offering quite a, a number of people early retirement. And I remember going home from work one day and he, he was home before me and he looked quite upset and he said, um, they've offered me early retirement. Uh, so I said, well, is there a problem? And he said, well, no, he said, they're going to pay me a lump sum for the rest of the year, for all next year, a whole year's wages and then and then of course i'll go on to retirement on my pension so i said well what's the problem you're getting a whole year's holiday and he said oh i never looked at it like that <laughs> i think he thought you know they don't want me <laughs> oh well yeah that's that's quite a sweet deal isn't yes it? it was it was yes gee yeah so he retired before me of course he retired at 64 and I was only 61 then. So I stayed on until I was 65. I didn't want to give up working. And you were working at the Tourist Information? I was, yes. How long <clears throat> was it that you were there all up by the end? Um, 19 years right. altogether. Yes. Yes. So John, and, uh, John retired what year? Um, oh, dear. Let me see. Well, he was 64. Um, I would be 61. So uh, uh, he would be um, 90. It would be 92, I think, wouldn't it? Would it be 92? Well, you were 60. I'm afraid my... Uh, yeah, would it be 92? Yeah, I yep. was born in 61. Yeah. So it would be 92. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. And, um, so but, he, uh, he was retired when... Yeah, because I think I remember you were working when we first met, but John had yes. re retired by then. Just retired. Yeah, mm. yep, yep. That lines up. Mm. Yes. And, of course, a bit later on, before I retired, uh, Tom had also retired. He retired earlier. And he used to come down and they'd go off and play snooker at the Conservative Club. And... Um, and have a couple of beers, and actually they got thrown out of the Conservative Club one day for fooling about. I don't know what they were doing, never found out what they were doing. They were like boys, really. And then the Conservative Club was about 50 yards away from where I worked, you know. So then they came, came round to my office and said, could they have a coffee to sober up? <laughs> 
really you know was it just reliving their youth <laughs> well of course it's it's actually a pretty difficult thing to retire isn't it i mean i imagine john in particular would have found it quite difficult to adjust to well i found it difficult because uh, you see in the summer i used to have to work on a saturday so then i would have thursday as my day off and uh, my colleague marilyn used to work on her own on the thursday so that i could have a my day off well i've been used to using that for my cleaning day at home i didn't go out on the thursday i just cleaned the house and did jobs like that well of course when john retired he wanted me to go out with him so i i got fed up with this because um you know i'd get home on a wednesday and say right now tomorrow we'll go to so-and-so we'll have a nice ride out and I said, well, hang on, you know, when am I going to do my work, household work? So I made a deal with him and I said, right, well, if you do the hoovering tomorrow, I'll go out with you. If you do the hoovering rather on Friday, I will go out with you tomorrow. <laughs> it took a lot of adjusting, really. He would have had an opportunity to retrain him. Yeah, but he did start to cook. He started, he said, well, I'll cook the evening meal and have it ready, you see, when you come home. Well, it really wasn't very good to begin with. <laughs> um, but we persevered, and he did get better at the cooking. Sometimes I'd say, well, look out, I'll make something tonight and we'll warm it up tomorrow. You know, he had one or two disasters, we'll put it that way. <laughs> it's because you didn't have a barbecue culture. That, that's why no. you couldn't you no. couldn't just go and at worst case you could just you know turn something to charcoal on the barbecue and you'd be right no. <laughs> I sit and wait does an angel contemplate my fate and do they know the places where we go And that concludes episode 4, season 6 of Mondays with Millie. In the next episode, we meet Auntie Elsie, firebrand Yorkshire woman with a big heart and a take-no-prisoners attitude. Elsie is very much a part of the family tapestry. We look forward to your company again next week. Take me I know that life won't break me When I come to call She won't forsake me I'm loving angels instead When I'm feeling weak And my pain works down Mondays with Millie is an e-learn production Editing and dodgy guitar work by yours truly, Phil Christofaro. Vocal work by Millie's granddaughter, Neve.
as the feeling grows, she breathes flesh to my bones. And when love is dead, I'm loving angels instead. And through it all, she offers me protection, a lot of love and affection, whether I'm right or wrong. And down the waterfall, wherever it may take me, I know that life won't break me when I come to call. She won't forsake me. I'm loving angels instead. Take me.